Good morning, College Park. My name is Doug Paybody. I'm the pastor of Soul Care here, and it really is my joy and privilege to introduce the one who will be opening the Word of God to us. Nicholas Ellen has just become a precious friend and brother, and he and his wife have been with us for our Equip 2010 event. We've had a wonderful time in the Word, and you're going to be tremendously blessed as we were in first service already. Uh, Brother Nicholas uh, got his bachelor's degree in business administration at the University of Texas and then was called to um, Dallas Theological Seminary where he got a master's in Christian education and then was led to beautiful Santa Clarita, California where he got a master of arts in biblical counseling at the master's seminary and is right now pursuing his doctoral studies at Southern Seminary in Louisville. But really, that's only the beginning of the story. He is on faculty at the College of Biblical Studies in Houston. He's the founder of the Expository uh, Counseling Center, which is a biblical counseling training ministry. And if you were to go on his uh, really excellent website, mycounselingcorner.com, there are just tremendous resources, most of which are free tools for your ministry toolbox. Um, he is right now um, with Vanessa planting a church after uh, several years of inner city pastoral ministry in, um, in downtown Houston. And even beyond that, he's, he's a humble, transparent, thoroughly delightful man that um, has a shepherd's heart and a driving passion to see the saints built up for the work of the ministry that they might be presented complete in Jesus Christ. So he's a like-minded brother. Would you please help me to welcome him to our pulpit? Nicholas Ellen. Well, good morning, everyone. I tell you, if I ever needed a hype man, I'm hiring Doug. (laughs) It's like, who is that guy he's talking about? (laughs) I am so excited to be with you all. This has been, again, as I shared in the first service, I've had a wonderful time uh, here. You guys have taken care of us. You've spoiled us. I can go back to Texas and say the people in Indianapolis are nice people. It's been a wonderful time here, and I just thank you for your hospitality. I mean, we have been spoiled rotten to the point where I kind of want to hang around here just a little bit longer before I have to go back to work tomorrow. I mean, this is beautiful. And again, uh, you've been so kind to us. I haven't had a chance to say thank you to everybody, but I personally want to thank Doug and his wife, Joanne. They have really, really blessed us, uh, been with us this whole weekend. And so thank you, brother. And when you come to Texas, you're my hype man. I I mean, (laughs) I'm using you, brother. (laughs) Shall we go before the Lord in prayer together? Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. You have been so gracious. You've been so kind. You promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord God, you keep fulfilling your promise every single day. Now, Lord God, as we go to your word together, Lord, we need to understand what you want us to know. Father, help us to not just learn today, but Lord God, is to live what we learn and to love others through what we've learned. And Lord, we pray for those who may not be with us at this moment. Lord, we pray that as we hear this message and work on our lives, may we share with those that you give us the wisdom and clarity to share with. To your glory 
and to their benefit. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. That was a show, maybe it's seven, eight years ago, where this baby was taken from this planet and put uh, on another planet. It was a, a nice movie, very fictitious. And this guy grew up with everybody around him that was fake. And he thought everything around him was real, and he began to do all these things, but there were billions of people around the world that watched his life every day. I mean, from the little silly stuff he would do, you know, brushing his teeth, I mean, just everything. And people around the world spent time watching this guy's life on television. You know what I thought? What if your pastor just randomly every week was able to pick one of you and say, all right, this week we're going to take so-and-so's life and we're going to put it up on screen for everybody to see just how holy they've been living this week. (laughs) Would we have any volunteers for that? Doug, come on up. Your life on stage today. And I thought about how scary that would be if on those bad days... When Jesus is nowhere in our thought life and we're not living like saints, we're living like ain'ts. You know those days? You're a saint, but you're living like an ain't. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and that were to be put on the screen before us. You know, I mentioned that because there was a time when I was teaching at the college. I was teaching a Bible study Methodist class. And this guy walked up to me and he said, can I shadow you for a day? And I thought, shadow me for a day. And this time and age, you think stalker. Okay, why are you wanting to shadow me? So my first thought was after that, okay, is the car clean? Is everything okay? Okay. And I was like, fine, you want a shadow? Follow me for a day. So he's making notes and, you know, in any meeting I'm in, he's checking out what's happening, people I'm counseling. This guy wanted to see if I was living what I was preaching. And it was a very humbling thing because what I recognize, he wasn't just satisfied with the information given. He wanted to see the life was connected to the information. And, you know, I wonder about the people that we share the truth with. Are they as curious about our lives as we are as anxious to tell them about the life of Christ? You know, have you ever thought about something? Could I follow you around for a day? Could I live with you for a week? And if I did, what would be the sights and the sounds and the symbols in your home? If I were to put your iPod up to my iPod and we were to sit and listen, what would be different about your iPod than those of the world? If we were to look at the things you enjoy, the things that you do, do you reflect something that's so distinct that people could say, I'm not quite sure what it is about you, but there's something about you that seems to be a little different than everyone else? Or would they see what they always see? My challenge to you this morning is that when we look at our lives, we need to ask the question, how Christian are we? And I'm not talking that fake phony stuff. I'm not talking the stuff where, you know, you've seen those people. God bless you, brother. I'm just glad to see you in the Lord Jesus. And, you know, every other word is a Christian. You know what I'm talking about? But you know that they're not living what they're lipping, but they just seem to sound right and they, they talk right. I'm talking if someone were to catch you on Monday through Saturday. What kind of home do you reflect? What would they say about you? My professor Howard Hendricks once said, if your Christianity isn't working at home, don't bring it outside. 
And I thought, whew, that's a tough one. But doesn't that make sense? We proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. We say how great he is. We even have a song that says, how great is our God. The question is, is that reflected in the homes of the God that we say we serve? I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the book of Proverbs. And we want to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33. And as we look at this proverb, let's get a little just background about the book of Proverbs. When you look at Proverbs, you can basically define it this way. Proverbs does two basic things. It gives you a prescription for life, and it gives you a description of life. And so as you're looking at different Proverbs, it describes and it prescribes. In this particular verse, we're getting what we call a description, but from this description, we want to look at our families and our homes this morning. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33, he says, The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. You could take this verse, you could take Galatians 6, 7, where it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man soweth, that he shall reap. If he sows to his flesh... He shall from his flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he shall reap eternal life. You can take those two verses and put them side by side, and you have an Old Testament and New Testament idea of what this text is about. The righteous and wicked in this text is not referring to saved and unsaved. It's dealing with when we walk rightly and when we walk wrongly, the consequences and the benefits of both. And so as we're looking at this passage this morning, I don't want you to separate to say, oh yeah, righteous, that means me, I'm saved, wicked, that means the unbeliever. When you look at this text this morning, I want you to think about the times that you're walking rightly and the times you're walking wrong and begin to do some evaluation of the house. We say that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because we believe in him, we have been died. We have died to sin and we're seeking to know him, become like him and be useful to him. And as we state that emphatically with our words, I want you to practically look at your life and say, is that me this morning? Am I seeking to know him? Am I seeking to become like him? Am I seeking to be useful to him? And I'm not talking about those people. You've met those people, they brag about how many times they've gone through the Bible. You've met those people. I've gone through the Bible 40 times this year, you know. (laughs) And they want you to know, this is my 50th time. You go, okay, you've gone through the Bible 40 times. I have one question. How many times has the Bible gone through you? Tell me, since you've gone through this Bible, how have you come to know him? What have you come to know about him as you've come to know him? How have you become like him? Tell me, how useful have you been to him as a result of going through the word of God? I know you know the 23rd Psalm, but do you know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm? Is he your God or someone that you know about? I know you know about grace, but tell me, have you experienced the reality of his grace? We want to be those Christians that people say, there's something you have that I want. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to just evaluate, when it comes to our house, where are we walking this morning? As we look at the first thing, here's the first point I want you to look at. When it says, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. The first point is this, a house that is not governed by the standards of God 
will suffer consequences. A house that's not governed by the standards of God will suffer consequences. Repeat this after me. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. If you want something different, then you must do something different. Too many people nowadays are complaining about the troubles in their home, but they're not looking at the sins in their home. And what they haven't connected is that the troubles are a byproduct of the wickedness that they refuse to walk away from. Let's take a look together at what we mean by wicked when we look at this context. Here's the point of wickedness. Wickedness is defined as one who is living immorally, one who is walking in violation of biblical standards, one whose lifestyle is inconsistent with God's standards. This is the person that seems to know what's right but keeps living what's wrong. This is what we call the yeah but Christian. You know what a yeah but Christian is? You give them the truth and they go, yeah but... Yeah, but, and they always have an excuse as to why they won't do what they know. You ever met them? And I call them strong and wrong. I mean, they, they're strong and wrong in everything. Okay? But they know the truth. When you find yourself walking this way, you're walking in what we call wickedness. And the word curse here is, it's not the way that we would seem to think about it in a, in a curse and a ooey gooey perspective. Curse here is just basically the consequences of disobedience. And so let's look at the definition together of curse according to the context of this passage. Curse is defined as a pronouncement or a sentence of misfortune as a result of wickedness. It can result in being hemmed in with obstacles or being placed in a bind or being powerless to change situations or circumstances because one continues in sin. It's a hovering evil. And it's not because you are living right. It's a hovering evil because you keep living in what's wrong. You're always doing what you've always done. So you're always getting what you always got. And your heart is raging against the Lord saying, Lord, why are you let this happen to me? He's saying, let this happen to you. I gave you the standard. You have the power to live by it, but you're rejecting what I've given you. Let me ask you this question. I want you to ponder this with me. Why is it that someone that knows what's right can still do wrong? How is it that we can have Christians who know the truth, understand it, have been educated in it, have grown up in it, but yet still choose to live a life that contradicts what they know? You know, it's very simple. It's not what you know, but what you treasure that you live. And you can know what's right, but whatever you treasure determines your choices. And when God is not what you treasure, then anything that you want above him becomes a central existence for you. i tell you a true story. My father, I didn't know him well, but I learned about him. He was a carn artist. I thought, <laughs> interesting, carn artist. And so every now and again, he would call me and he said, son, you know I'm a carn artist, right? And I'm thinking, <laughs> great, dad, that's exciting to know, you know. <laughs> he says, but I want to teach you something. Because I want to protect you from men like me. I said, go ahead, I'm listening. He said, son, there are only two types of people I can con. I said, I'm listening. The needy and the greedy. 
He says, when a person is needy, I can present to them anything. And if it fits what they think they need, I've manipulated them. I've got them. He says, but a person who's greedy, I just sell them. They can get more of what they think they want and have. And I got them. I said, mm. He said, but you know who I can't con? I said, I'm listening. A content person, I have nothing to offer them. And you know what I thought about? Christians are not manipulated because they're not smart. Christians are not manipulated because they are, uh, for lack of better words, not knowing the right thing to do. We're manipulated because we're self-centered. When what I want becomes more important than what God commands, then I can easily be manipulated by anything that comes my way. And that sets me up for a life of inconsistency. Why? Because I know what's right, but what I treasure is more important than what I know. And so the evil one in this world just keeps providing opportunities for me to contradict my faith over and over again because my faith and my heart aren't connected. There is a disconnect. When that is the kind of life I have, we will find a hovering evil over my life because I'm refusing to accept the standard by which I've been saved. When you look at your life today, ladies and gentlemen, are there some things going on in your heart, in your life, where you know what's right, but you keep living what's wrong? Do you realize that the Bible says, there have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, provide the way of escape. See, the reality is you can, but what you want has become more important than the God that wants you. When there's wickedness, when there's instability in the home, you will find that this hovering evil is because there's some hovering wickedness that you're refusing to accept. Let me give you some examples of what possibly could be happening in your home when there is a life where there's standards that God has set and you're refusing to follow those standards. Let's look together at letter C. When the lifestyle of the family is inconsistent with God's standards for the family, there are some things that you may begin to see. First thing you may see is this, the answer of no to prayer request. Oh, you're praying and snotting and snorting and oh, Jesus, help me. And I mean, you just, you're laboring before the Lord in prayer, but yet it just seems to be bouncing off the ceilings. You know why? It's not that your prayers aren't biblically solid. It's just that your heart and connected to the God you're praying to. In James chapter 4, he says, you ask and receive not because you ask and amiss because you want to consume it on your pleasures. Now, let's think about our father for a moment. I, I love to do this when I'm in a conference with people. I'll pick on some woman or something and I'll say, let me borrow your wife for a minute, sir. And he looks at me like, I said, no, just for the illustration. <laughs> I says, let's say that my wife was over here and I went to your wife and we wanted to hook up and I wanted to bring her home. And I said to my wife, honey, I've just met this woman. And you know what? I'm really excited. Why don't we bring her in the home and let me marry her too? Now, you see how you guys are looking at me right now? Like this man has lost his mind. That's how God feels when we whore around in the world and then come back and say, Lord, bless me with this. He says, I can't. 
I saved you for myself. And you are more in love with my blessings than the blessor. I can't give it to you. Because if I give it to you, you'll just go further and further away from me. If you want to know the things in your life where you are more in love with that than God, the areas where you're angry and the areas where you're worried exposes what you worship above God. Let me see if I can give an example. When you are angry and it's sinful anger, that means that you did not receive what you wanted or you received what you did not want. And instead of accepting what God has allowed, you've decided to have a temper tantrum. And what you're saying to God is, this is more important to me than you. Or the areas where you're worried, worry is about fear. And fear means that you think you're going to lose something you treasure or not get something you treasure. And God says that worry is sin because you're taking that thing that you value and you're putting it above the Creator. And he says, I can't give that to you. So have you found that there have been some things that you've just been praying so hard for? Maybe God is saying, you know what? As he said in Ezekiel 14, these men have set up idols in their hearts and they come to consult me. Shall I even be consulted by them? They don't know that they want the thing more than they want me. But here's the second thing we must consider if maybe there's some wickedness happening or there's some areas in our families where we're not lining up with God's will. Perhaps we may see this particular sign. Number two, constantly stumbling into trouble without seeing the stumbling block. Have you ever seen that before where there are people in your family that just got these blind spots? And you keep wanting to tell them about the blind spot and they keep resisting your conversation. Have you ever had that happen to you? Don't nudge your husband at this time, all right? Don't see, honey, I've been trying to tell. Don't, don't nudge. But, but think about it. When you find that you're forever in a position of falling and you can't get up, perhaps it's because you're unwilling to see what God is trying to show. But here's a third example. Confusion and disorder manifesting in the home consistently because of the pursuit of selfish ambition in the home. Do you realize that the Bible tells us in James chapter 3 that where there's confusion, disorder, and every evil thing, we find earthly, natural, demonic wisdom? Do you realize that when what you want becomes more important than God and your family, that that just brings division to the home? When your ambitions override God's will, that just brings confusion to the home. And all it takes is one person in the home to be consumed with their own ideas above God's. And you know how subtle it is? It starts with a preference. I think we should do it this way. No, honey, I think we should do it this way. No, sweetie pie, I think we should do it this way. No, we should do it this way. And then what happens? The fight breaks out over preference and we override God's precept of love. And then we have these battles over things that are neither right nor wrong, just personal preferences that have been elevated to God's standards. Subtle, but symptomatic That something is going wrong in the home. Let me give you another example. Being trapped or enslaved to sinful habits. You just can't seem to break out of this way of living. There's a certain thing that you think, a certain thing that you do, and you know it's wrong, but you just can't seem to get out. Here's a secret. 
is not because you can't. It's because somewhere in your heart, you're consumed with what you want. Because if the Bible is real, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God says there's a way through everything that you're dealing with. Here's another example for you. Negative consequences because of unrepentant sin. Have you ever seen the person that's very stubborn? They know they're wrong, but they won't confess it. Have you ever been in a house with someone who won't say, I was wrong, would you forgive me? Do you know the hardest thing for me to do with my wife? I hate it when she's right. Man, I hate it. Because you know what I have to do? See, shoe, see, foot, enter, mouth. But you know what keeps harmony? When I can humble myself before her and say, listen, I need to ask your forgiveness for the way I handled you today. I was rude and I was unkind. Would you forgive me? And when she comes to me on those days and say, listen, my attitude was not right towards you. Would you forgive me? It is so humbling and it's so hard. But the harmony that comes when sin is addressed changes the foundation of the family. But when we harbor sin in our hearts and hold on to bitterness, the Bible says he who covers his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Number six, insatiable desire for more of everything with lack of contentment with what they have. The more you have, the more you want, because you don't enjoy what you have, you believe you have to have that one more thing. You remember when you were a kid, Mama, if you just give me that bike, I promise I won't ask for anything else. You remember that? And as soon as you got the bike, Mama, if you just give me those video games, I promise I won't ask for anything else. Mom, if you just help me get this car, I won't ask you to do anything. And it just goes over and over and over again. Why? Because when we don't enjoy what we have, where we are, we never enjoy anything we have. Contentment, satisfaction, apart from people and circumstances, only comes when there's a genuine relationship with God. Because what God does, he brings contentment to things. We don't confine or find contentment in things. God can allow you to enjoy a little. He can allow you to enjoy a lot. But the contentment is not in what you have. It's in who you have who allows you to enjoy what you have. But when what you want is more important than who he is. And the fact that he saved you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin and the presence of sin. He saved you that you may know him. When what he can offer is more important than him. You find life gets boring. You know the song we sing, Amazing Grace? Sometimes amazing grace is not amazing, isn't it? And you know why? Because the amazing God that we serve has become second to the things that we treasure. And do you realize that God designed you to be satisfied with him? And so anything less than that will find you miserable and wanting. Story about the Susan B. Anthony. How many of you remember the Susan B. Anthony? You remember that dollar? Do you remember why they discontinued the Susan B. Anthony? It looked too much like a quarter. You remember that? 
And I can remember, you know, putting some things in and I thought it was a quarter and it was a dollar and it was just, it just got too frustrating. You couldn't tell if it was a dollar or a quarter, so they discontinued it. We need to be careful, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't become Susan B. Anthony Christians. Where people can't really tell if we belong to Christ or if we belong to the world. They just aren't sure where we are. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you look at your house, do you find that you're seeking to know him, become like him, or be useful to him? Or are you seeking him to be useful to you? Let's look at the text. He says in Proverbs 3.33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Here's the good stuff. Point number two we want to make from this text, a house that is governed by the standards of God will reap the benefits. Do you realize that when you pursue him, you get the benefits of knowing him, but when you pursue the benefits, you miss out on the real goal, which is to know him? And when we seek to know him, when we seek to become like him, when we seek to be useful, God begins to change our worlds. Let's define righteous from the context of this passage. Righteous is defined as one who is walking in harmony, not perfection, with biblical standards or whose lifestyle is consistent, not perfect, with God's standards. Here's what we mean. This person is not sinless, but they sin less and less because they're walking more and more with him. This person isn't perfect, but they're being perfected because they are seeking to purify themselves as he is pure, as they're anticipating his return, and he will make them like him in his return. We won't be perfect until he returns. And the goal is not for us to focus on perfection. It's to focus on faithfulness and knowing him, and he perfects us. Do you know how I stop sinning by not focusing on sin, but focusing on obedience? The more I focus on knowing him, I can't focus on the sin and knowing him at the same time. I've had people come for counseling. Pastor, I've got a potty mouth and I know I've got a potty mouth and, you know, I just can't stop it. I just can't stop it. And every day I think I'm not going to curse, I'm not going to curse, and I'm not going to curse. And guess what they do? Right? I said, what if you think about giving praises to God for the next 30 days. And let's pick five things you can praise God for every single day of the week for the next seven days. And let's just focus on that. You know what happened to the gentleman? As he focused on giving praise and thanks, his potty mouth became a mouth of praise. Why? Because he wasn't focusing on not doing, he was focusing on pursuing. That's what God wants for us. It's not how much sin we stop, it's how much truth we learn and live and love. That's what transforms us. It leads us to know him. And so as we see the righteous, they are seeking to know him. Blessing, what does it mean? Blessing is defined as bestowal of good or benefits. As a result of righteousness, it can result in having vitality, productivity in various aspects of life, longevity, material benefits. It becomes a life that reflects one who knows him. We're not talking health, wealth, and prosperity. We're talking a life of vitality, a life of peace, a life of productivity. Because you know you can have a lot and still be miserable, right? It's what I have I enjoy and who I have I'm content with because of the God that I'm connected to. 
I'm satisfied with him and he's satisfied with me and the reflection is the life that I live. Well, what are some examples of a life like this? Well, I'm glad you asked. You guys are pretty sharp this morning. (laughs) Number one, the answer of yes to prayer. The answer of yes to prayer. You're finding that you just think things and think, boy, it'd be nice if we could honor God by blank, blank, blank. And all of a sudden things are happening. You find yourself seeing God do things. Now, let me clarify. I'm not talking about naming it, claiming it, and grabbing it, and bagging it, and calling it, and hauling it. You know, all that crazy. I'm not talking about that, okay? I don't want anybody walking away thinking, oh, if I just pray, money cometh now. And I'm not saying that kind of stuff, okay? I'm talking the kind of life where I'm learning the will of the master and submitting myself. And as I pray in tune with his will, I'm seeing the reality of that happen in my life and in the lives of others. That's what we're referring to. But secondly, the ability to see danger and run from it. That's powerful. You see it. You understand it and you run away because of the discernment and the desire to please God. But then third, there's harmony and peace in the home. Harmony and peace in the home. Boy, I tell you, there's nothing like coming home to peace. That is such a wonderful thing where everything is in place as far as stability. Not that we have no problems, but even in the problems, there's peace. You ever had those days where you're walking right with God and even the foolishness around you is no longer foolish to you? Because you're just at peace with God. And that peace that transcends all understanding is with you and your life is stable. Number four, the power to resist sin and walk in righteousness. You're not only turning away from sin, you desire to walk in righteousness. You desire to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. Number five, stability in hard times. Boy, I tell you, God will allow hard times to come. But the more you walk with him, the more stable you are in those times. Number six, Confidence in the presence of God. The Bible says the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And then number seven, contentment with what you have. But let me add this, contentment with who you have. See, a lot of the problems we have with people is that we have high expectations and low love. And so we're more disappointed with them because we're living to be satisfied by them instead of living to please God with them. And when I live to please God with them, I change my expectations and raise my love. And I find that I'm not as disappointed with that old sobby son of a gun. Why? Because my satisfaction is not in him or her. I may find something from them, but now I learn that my world doesn't revolve around them. I enjoy who I have and what I have, and I endure where I am and who I'm with because I don't live for them. I live for Jesus Christ. Boy, if we were at Hagee's church, we'd go, and let's get an amen right now. (laughs) You know, this gentleman, the story is told, he bought this big painting of Christ, and he just wanted to be impressed with the painting. So with this big painting he bought... He tried to get it in his house, and it wouldn't fit in his house. So he got the greatest engineers and the greatest people to come around to try to figure out how to get this painting in the house. 
And they finally said to him, sir, you can't make this painting fit in the house. You've got to build a house around this painting. And so many of us are trying to make Jesus fit in our home instead of building our home around Jesus. So in closing, let's talk about how we can develop and maintain a house that's pleasing to God. Would you like to know that? You sure? You're positive. I mean, because I'm looking at some folk. I don't. Is Jesus here? Amen. So you want to know? All right, let's talk about it together. Point number three, we must develop and maintain a house governed by the standards of God. How? Number one, learning, accepting, and submitting to God's standards. So you, you want to know how you please God? You learn the truth, you live the truth, and you love others through the truth that you're living. That's that simple. As God exposes it to you, you learn it, you live it, you love others through it, and lives are transformed along with your life being transformed. Secondly, there must be confessing and repenting of sin to God and to others on a consistent basis in your life. But then last, you must be about the business of forgiving and loving as you have been forgiven and loved by God. This man wanted to slack off on his job. It was his last, last work. And so he finished his job and his boss said to him, can you build me one more house? Just one more house. The guy said, "Ah, okay, fine. So he half did the foundation. He half built the house. He just kind of sloppily put it together and said, here you go, boss, I'm done. The boss said, here you go. Surprise, this house was for you. The house you're in right now, ladies and gentlemen, is because it's the house you're making. You can choose to live by the standards of God and there can be transformation. Or you can choose to live by the wickedness of this world and you will find degradation. So when you look at your family this morning, the question you have to ask, what kind of house are we living in? And can we embrace the tools that God has given us to either develop it or to maintain it? Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. May you grant us what we need in order to live in a manner worthy of you. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.